Well, welcome everyone. It's good to see you tonight. How many of you were depressed after last week? I know some of you were depressed because I went for an hour and 20 minutes. And some of you came to me and said, great, now I'm ready for next week because now I'm angry. I'm just kidding, nobody did that. Maybe internally, but they certainly did not display that. We're going to do our best to end at 8 o'clock tonight. Dealing with anger. Next week, we have off. It's July 4th. If you come here next week, next Wednesday night, you will be here alone, watching fireworks from afar. The week after that, Mike is going to be teaching on dealing with forgiveness. I think that is the 11th. And then I have the last one on the 18th where I'm going to be talking about worry and anxiety. Anybody struggle with worry and anxiety? My wife immediately, dealing with my husband. Not me. Yeah, these are things that we all struggle with at times. But tonight we are going to talk about anger. There's handouts in the back, so feel free to get one if you need to get up and grab one. You can follow along. I don't know about you, but when most of us consider anger, I think we typically think about more extreme cases of anger, don't we? We're talking about someone who goes postal. I mean, think about it. Where did that term, oh, he's going postal. Where did that come from? Postal workers who literally went crazy. Oh, he's going postal. Or you may think about when you're in Walmart and you can hear it like 10 aisles away. This kid is throwing a grade A tantrum. And, and I'm telling you, it is so good that people have stopped and lined up their carts and they are watching. And at the end of this, they're like, eight, eight. That, that was a performance. I would have given you a nine. Uh, the ending lacked a little bit of passion. I wasn't quite convinced. The kid is full out on the floor, screaming, pounding, angry. Maybe you think about the husband who punches his fist through doors when really what he wants to do is punch his fist through his wife's face. 50% of my calls as a police officer were domestic violence. I, I remember walking, trying to find the victim by following a trail of blood because the husband had thrown her through the front glass window of their apartment. And so he was still chasing her, and I'm following both of them through this apartment complex, following the blood. That's the reality of anger. But the reality is most of us don't immediately think of the more respectable types of anger, do we? In fact, we'd rather talk about the extreme. See, the respectable types of anger are the kind of respectable anger that we experience right in our own homes, right in our own community, right in our own heart. In fact, five years ago, the Lord began to reveal my own respectable anger. Just take one example. Again, this happened five years ago. I come home from a long day. We're missionaries in Albania. I'm there serving the Lord, training pastors, okay, with that in context. I come home from a long day of ministry meetings. I, I've been discipling Albanian pastors, having coffee after coffee after coffee, encouraging the guys to love their wife and love their kids and love the church. 
I just got done teaching a two-hour pastoral ministry class to these Albanian pastors. I get home. I am exhausted. I unlock the front door. I walk in. When I walk in, the living room looks like World War III hit it. I don't even smell dinner, let alone see it on the table. And my kids still have not done their chores from last week. Immediately, instantly, I am filled with butterflies. Now, you know where this is going. This feeling of offense. And, and I began to think about it. The 10-hour day that I had just put in. And my wife and kids can't even clean and cook. Come on! I mean, what are they doing all day? And now, because I'm a good Christian man, I didn't throw any punches or the keys that were in my hand from just unlocking the front door. I wanted to, but I'm a good Christian man. I didn't do that. But I do throw angry, harsh, caustic, hurtful words like arrows from a bow. And everywhere they land, what do they do? They pierce with grief and hurt. Some of you are like, that happened five years ago? Are you sure you should have been a missionary? Training them? Wait, wait, you're a counselor. Don't you know that you're not supposed to do that? Did I have an anger problem? Help me, church. Did I have an anger problem? Yeah, thanks for having my back, Richard. It was just a communication issue, breakdown of communication. Yeah, I, let's go with that answer. I'll take that door. In fact, that segues into the next section of my message. Richard, thank you. Think of all of the good justifications that I came up in that moment. Think about what I was thinking after it was all over. And my wife and my children stumble from the room bloodied. My anger wasn't a pattern, at least as far as I could see. My anger wasn't as bad as some I knew. I mean, after all, I knew guys, Christian guys, pastors, who should have been locked up for the things they had done. And some of those missionaries, they needed actual counseling because they were yelling at their wives. And I'm not as bad as them as if they were the what? The standard. I mean, my anger was justified, right? I was the one working 10 hours. They were the ones who were irresponsible I mean, my wife knows that's her job, to feed me. If you don't feed me, I get angry. That's not my fault. And so on and so forth. Well, when my wife began to lovingly and graciously point out my sinful anger, how do you think I responded? Oh, honey, thank you so, 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 so very much for pointing out to me the fact that I have an anger problem and the fact that it's not just occasional, but it's actually a pattern. 
I've been waiting for this moment for you to show me. Do you think that's how I responded? No, what do you think I did? I got angry. She's like, see? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not angry. Um, Mirror, could, could I record you and, and play it back and, and you hear yourself? I began to struggle with discouragement. She's right. I began to look at my kids' faces as these, these harsh, caustic words would come out of my mouth. In fact, I have one daughter that, that when I would say these things to her, her face would literally, she'd go... You think God was revealing this to me? And I was like, well, I used to be a cop. It's not my fault. If I had never been a cop, I wouldn't be ordering people around. It's LAPD's fault. I was looking for a scapegoat. God began to reveal it to me. I was discouraged. I began experiencing self-pity. Woe is me. They don't understand me. It's hard living in Albania. These pastors aren't even doing what I'm telling them to do. And I come home and my family doesn't understand. Woe is me. Oh, Chrissy, Jaji Chrissy, that's what they call me, Uncle Chris. Woe is me. Because the reality is I began to get hopeless because no matter how often I saw it, no matter how often I confessed it, no matter how often I asked for forgiveness, I couldn't seem to break the pattern. At least before I was blind to it, I was just getting angry. Now God has shown it to me and I'm seeing it. And I'm like, I should know how to fix this. I should know how to change. I keep saying the words, but the pattern doesn't seem to change. I mean, maybe there's some of you in this room right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can identify. And is this just a struggle for men? Ladies, do you get angry? Some of the guys are like, yes. You get angry too. And sometimes it's not that white burning hot anger, ladies. What sometimes is your anger? I mean, you have that look, that icy stare. Husbands, anyone, you know what I'm talking about? I do something wrong and she just goes. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Sweet Shelly, I know. It's hard to imagine. I had an anger problem. I was mostly blind to it. Till God began to reveal it to me, I asked for forgiveness. I couldn't seem to change. And it was just a cycle. Well, I just want you to know tonight that for those of us who have been set free from the bondage to anger through repentance and faith in Christ, there is hope to break the pattern. Do you believe that? We don't have to be angry. We don't have to respond in patterns of anger. And so tonight, that's really my goal. We're going to develop a biblical view of anger by examining these seven aspects of anger. And so my hope is that we can learn how to help ourselves and then how to help others deal biblically with anger. So let's look at this first aspect. Some of these I'm going to go through quickly. Some of them I'm going to take a little bit longer time. Let's look at God and anger. Now, when you think of God and anger, typically when you talk to unbelievers, 
It's very difficult for an unbeliever to understand how can God be perfectly loving and perfectly angry at the same time all of the time, right? Think about that. That makes no sense. Anger and love seem to be opposites. Now, sadly, what's happening to the church? We're having more and more Christians who are also disbelieving that. And before you're like, oh, I'm so surprised, don't be surprised. Because what is a lot of the preaching that people are hearing, Christians are hearing today? They're hearing what? God is love. He loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. They may not be hearing about God and his holiness, God and his his wrath against unrepentant unbelievers. They're not hearing that side of the story. So, So don't be surprised that you may have friends who are like, God is angry? What are you talking about? And then that's typically when they use that phrase, don't you know God hates the sin, but what? Loves the sinner. That's typically when they drop that one on you. We have to remember that our perfect triune God is able to be both perfectly loving and perfectly angry at the same time. In fact, God is able to express his anger and wrath without ever sinning. I mean, just think of Romans 1.18. I mean, we know this passage, don't we? Our pastor taught through it a while back. You guys remember this verse, Romans 1.18. Many of us could probably quote it. What does it say? For the wrath of God, this word wrath, it's the orge in the Greek. It's this slow burning anger. For the wrath, the slow burning anger of God is revealed where? From heaven against whom? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. It's being revealed. It's a present tense, passive. It's something that God is doing continually. I love what John MacArthur says about this wrath. He says this wrath is a settled, determined response of a righteous God against sin. I mean, I think sometimes we think, oh, God's just up there, and he's like, oh, they're doing it again. They're sinning again. Slap, 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 slap. Oh, I'm so sorry I did that. It's almost like he's like the professor or the the father that doesn't know what he's doing. No. You understand, when Paul is using this word in the Greek, and we're going to get to that in a second, what the, the other Greek words, he's talking about this is a settled, determined, God has chosen when you do this, this is how I will respond. And he does it with righteousness. You don't have to turn there, but Psalm 711. Psalm 711 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. What is indignation? Anger. When? Every day. Do you realize that God is angry right now? Right now, God is angry. Every day. And of course, Psalm 5, 5, where the psalmist says, God, you hate all who do iniquity. Psalm 5, 5, you hate all who do iniquity. So when that person says, well, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin, does that coincide with Psalm 5, 5? And again, who is the one who is doing iniquity? It has the idea of unrepentant practicing. So as believers, when you and I do iniquity, this psalm is not applying to us because there's patterns of repentance. 
We, we're growing. We, we don't like it. We, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. This psalm is talking about the ones who are unrepentant, that are, that are practicing and doing. They're characterized by sin. It says God hates them. Why? Because verse 4 says this, no evil dwells within you. No evil. In fact, the Word of God says God can't even look upon sin, can't even look upon evil. And so God is angry. He hates those who do sin. He hates sin. And this wrath is burning, slowly building. So God's anger is a just response to what's wrong, to what's offensive, and it's not sinful. Again, what does James 1.13 say? Can God be tempted by evil? No. Now think about this. Did Christ ever get angry? Buckle up. He got furious. Think about Christ was filled with anger when he encountered people who perverted the worship of God. Think of Mark 3.5 when he goes into the synagogue and there's a, a man with a withered hand and the Pharisees are sitting back going, it's the Sabbath, is he going to heal, is he going to heal? He's going to break the Sabbath, he's going to heal. And it says that, that Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, was angered with them because they were wanting to trap him and trick him. They weren't even concerned about this guy in his withered hand. What about this other time? You guys remember this one, John 2, 14 to 17, he comes into the temple and what does he find? Them selling oxen and sheep and cattle and the money changers. And what does he say? You turned my father's house into what? A den of thieves. So what does he do? Ah, you'll get it right next week. What does he say? He takes some cords, he goes out there and he starts whipping people. I can't believe you did this. You were supposed to come here and listen to me. Is that what Jesus said? No, where was his focus? You did this to my heavenly father. He cast him out, turned over the money tables. Did he sin? Was Christ sinning in his anger? Does the Bible say that Christ can sin? No. In fact, what does Hebrews 4.15 say? It says, we have a high priest, a sympathetic high priest, who is unable to sin, incapable of sinning. Hebrews 4.15. Jesus got angry. Look at uh, Matthew 23, the woes of the Pharisees. Jesus got angry. So God demonstrates that anger can be totally right, totally good, totally appropriate, and here's the kicker, the loving response to sin. You think, Chris, how is that true? Well, God's anger is frequently expressed as redemptive love. Think about this. God's anger leads him to redemptive love. I don't know if you've thought about it this way. Let me walk you through it. I've got it on your hand out there. In fact, the gospel is presented in terms of how love and anger come to be resolved. Think about this. A, in God's love, his just anger for our sin fell on whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. And so 1 John 4.10 talks about that God sent Christ to be what? The propitiation for our sins. What does that word propitiation mean? Satisfaction. What is John talking about? The punishment for our sin, the wrath 
of God's hatred, holy hatred for sin, was satisfied when it killed his son. And because it fell on his son, is it going to fall on you and me, Christian? No. How about B, in God's love, his anger works to disarm the power of sin, perfecting us. So Philippians 1.6 talks about he's going to complete the work that he began in us. God hates sin. He wants us to love and obey him. So according to Hebrews 12, what does it say? Do you remember that? Look at Hebrews 12. What does it say? I want you to think about these words. What do these words mean? We, we've read this passage multiple times. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5 says, you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly, what? What are we not supposed to regard lightly? The discipline of the Lord. Nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord, what? Loves, he disciplines. The best thing for you and me is to be as far away from sin and its consequences and its death in its turmoil, in its trouble, in its pain as possible. And so God, because he hates sin and he put it on his son, Jesus Christ, because his love, his anger drove him to redemptive love, what does he do for you and me? When he sees you and I wandering like sheep, looking for the cliff, looking for the poisonous weed, what does he do? He disciplines us for our good, bringing us back to the fold, healing us. His holy anger energizes his redemptive love. And then there's C. In God's love, he eventually turns man's sinful anger into good. You have all those passages you know, Romans 8, 28, and Genesis 50, 20 is the one where, where, where Joseph says, Brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God turned your evil and he used it to save not just Israel, from famine and starving, but all of these Egyptians too. And God used your sin to order events to bring me to a place in a position of power where I would have this dream where we would be able to store up grain so that we would all live. And what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So God is able to be both perfectly loving and angry at the same time without sin. His anger frequently comes and leads him to redemptive love. His righteous anger over sin energizes him to action, sends his son to the cross, which leads to salvation and sanctification for you and I. I don't know if you've ever thought about that started because of God's righteous anger over sin. Well, what is anger? Let's go to the second one, the second aspect. What is anger? Well, I've got a definition there for you. Anger is a strong feeling of displeasure or hostility caused by a real or perceived defense, injury, or unmet desire to oneself or others. And then usually, sometimes it's accompanied by some type of desire to retaliate or seek revenge. Now, underline perceived. Why do I say real or perceived offense? This morning, I'm getting ready for elder meeting. Uh, our elder meeting starts at 5.30. I have got to have not the small mug, but my giant Texas-sized mug. I put two things of, of, of uh, Keurig coffee in there, and I take it to elder meeting. It lasts me the whole elder meeting. So I get up, and I'm looking for my mug. Where is my mug? 
exactly. I don't know. I always leave it right there. Always. I hand wash the sucker, put it up there, make sure it's clean, make sure it's dry, so that on Wednesday, elder meeting, what do I do? So I'm getting ready to go participate in elder meeting and pray with these guys and be encouraged by them. And the whole time I'm muttering, where did those kids put this thing? It was probably Caitlin. I bet you it was Caitlin. Caitlin probably took my mug, and then I come to the, I'm, like, I'm looking everywhere but the sink, and then what, where is it? It's in the sink. <gasps> Caitlin. I get home, and I go to Caitlin. I say, Caitlin, what did you do with my mug? And she goes, Dad, what are you talking about? Well, you use my mug, right? I see you using it. She goes, Dad, I've never used your mug. And I go, oh, it's probably Sierra. Shell says, honey, dun, 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 I think I used it. Was that a real offense? Was I angry? I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. This happened this morning. I'm just telling you, I did not have a hard time coming up with illustrations for this sermon. I don't have to go anywhere else but my own life. I perceived something that didn't really happen. And even though I had studied this for four days, I was thinking about this truth. I was thinking about what anchor is. The pattern comes back. And I allow a perceived offense that never actually happened to make me angry to the point where I actually confronted my daughter. And then I blamed it on the other one, who wasn't even there to defend herself. And then my wife admits it was her all along. So you see how it can be a real offense. It can also be something that is perceived. It never actually happened. This happens a lot when we judge someone's motive We assume we know. Well, you said this, so it must have meant you meant this. You ever had that issue happen? Well, you said that. And I'm like, well, that's I said that, but that's not what I meant. Well, I assumed, oh, key word, assumed you judged my motive. I'm offended at something that you said because I thought you meant that, but in fact you meant this over here. That's a perceived offense. It's not really, they didn't really mean it that way. Does that make us angry? Absolutely. So it's important just to understand that. It's part of the definition. Now, David Powson lists three stages of the core of anger. I think it's really helpful for us to kind of dissect and think about anger. What's the first stage at the core of anger? I identify some perceived wrong. There is something wrong. Number two, I take a stance of disapproval. I begin to feel displeasure. The stance of disapproval, where does that happen? On the outside or the inside? I'm not going, I'm against you. I disapprove. Where does that stance of disapproval happen? In the mind. And then, based on how I think about that thing that I think is wrong, what happens? How does it affect my feelings? That eventually affects the way I feel. So that's what Paulson's bringing out. I begin to feel displeasure. When I walk in the door after a 10-hour day, and I see this, I'm offended. There's something wrong. They didn't do what I said. They didn't do what I asked. I'm against this, and immediately what happens? Feelings, irritability, anger, I'm upset. Or as Christians, what do we like to say? I was a little frustrated. I'm just so frustrated all the time. What do you mean when you say you're frustrated? Think about that. It's much better to say frustrated because the Bible doesn't talk about frustration. You're either angry or you're not angry. You're upset or you're not upset. 
And then thirdly, in some way I move to action. I identify some perceived wrong, I take a stance in my mind, I feel displeased in my emotions, my feelings, and in some way I move to action to say or do something about it. Don't ever forget that anger is a moral matter. Think about it. Anger judges and then it acts. It comes to a judgment and then it acts on that judgment. And here's the reality. Who else will judge anger? God in heaven. So don't forget that. God in heaven will judge it. Now biblically, and this is a fascinating thought, a God-given emotion, this is, this is another way to look at anger, that anger is a God-given emotion to help me solve problems biblically. Have you ever thought of anger that way? That anger is a God-given emotion to help me solve problems biblically. You're like, Chris, I don't even know where you are coming from that. Obviously, psychology has gotten its hooks into you. Prove it or get off the stage. That's what you're probably thinking right now. I'm just going to give you two biblical examples. What happened in 2 Samuel 12? This is after David sins against Bathsheba. He has sent Uriah to the front lines, who is now killed, and he's lied. We don't know how many months or maybe even a year plus time went between all of that, and this event happens. But what does God send the prophet to do to confront David? So Nathan goes to David, and what does he do? Remember how he confronted David? It was very creative. What did he do? He told a story. What was the story about? There was a rich man, and then there was a poor man. The rich man had all of these different lambs. The poor man had one little lamb, and it was dear to them. And then a friend came into town, and so what did the rich man do? I don't want to sacrifice any of my sheep. I'm going to take your one little lamb, kill it, and give it to my friend. We're going to eat it together. David hears the story, and what does he do? It says, in anger... He says, that man should be judged, should be put to death, should have to pay fourfold. He doesn't even realize that the prophet is telling a story to incite him to anger so that he has the aha moment of, wait a minute, that's me. I'm the rich man. I had all these women. I had all this wealth, and I went and took Uriah's wife. And God used the prophet to tell a story with wisdom and tactfulness to use David's own anger against him so that he breaks. It's amazing. And then in verse 13, it's, that's when he repents. Now turn with me to Galatians 2, 11. Here's a, a New Testament version of this just to prove it. That it is a biblical concept. Galatians 2.11. So Paul is writing this. He says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to, used to, key word, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw, hold himself aloof, fearing the, the party of their circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. And then he goes on. Paul sees Peter, a leader, living in hypocrisy, choosing, 
I'm not going to eat with the Gentiles anymore. These Jews are coming in. I want to impress them. So we're going to stay separate. And Paul says, that's wrong. That's unbiblical. It's ungodly. And what does Paul's righteous anger drive him to do? Confront Peter, which results in what? Do we read about Peter in the rest of the New Testament? Did Peter respond rightly to this? Does it say in the text? doesn't say in the text. How do we know Peter responded rightly to this? Because we have two letters from him. We have letters from Peter talking about that he is still walking with the Lord. He repented. God used Paul's righteous anger over what Peter was doing to confront him, which in turn promoted godliness in Peter's life. Have you ever thought that God gives us anger to energize us to action? That anger is an emotion that God has given you and me that should drive us to godliness. That may be a new concept for you. Well, let's continue to develop this idea of what is anger. The New Testament has three words for anger. I'm going to go through this a little quick, more quick, quickly. The first is thumos. This is explosive anger. This is wrath or rage. It's the passion of anger. In fact, in Ephesians 4.31, when it's talking about the things that we're supposed to put off, it uses thumos and the next one, orge. It's the passion of the moment. Typically, uh, it, you can think of it like a volcano. A volcano. You can even draw a, a volcano. Thumos is the volcano. It's explosive wrath. It's violent. Uh, it's the passion of the moment. You've, you maybe heard this expression, oh man, he's going to blow his top. What do we mean by that expression? He is about to lose it. In Albania, this was something that still shocked me after nine years, is that sometimes you'd be walking in the park, and, and Albanians love to take their families on a Sunday. That, that place would be packed with families. And you'd see this dad walking with his eight-year-old son, and the eight-year-old son, you could tell, was being kind of popping off. And the, and the eight-year-old son would pop off something, and, and the dad would just go, whack! Slap the kid on the face. Kid falls over into the dirt, starts crying, gets up, and the, and the dad goes, and we're like, uh, do we call somebody? Do I rescue this kid? Do I? My Albanian friends are like, no, it's part of the culture. It's volcanic. This is sinful anger that blows up. What does that look like verbally? It could be harshness. It could be intimidation. It could be arguing. It could be sarcasm. I keep telling Shelly my gift of sarcasm is a gift from the Lord. She keeps telling me it's from Beelzebul. It's like, honey, I use it in preaching. She goes, uh, don't go there. You don't use it that way with me. It could even be sarcasm. What about an action? It could be throwing, punching, kicking, pinching, hitting, slapping. You even hear about Christian moms doing this. They're in the store with their kid, and they know they can't spank their kids, so what do they do in that moment? Uh! What is that? Thumos. What's worse about that is why are they doing it to the glory of God? I'm disciplining you in the moment. And if it is unrighteous anger driving, even a pinch can be volcanic in nature. 
thumos. What about orge? The next one. Thumos is the volcano. What is orge? Well, it's an abiding, settled attitude of indignation. It's, it's the one who's offended. It's the internal inferno. In fact, this is the word that is in Romans 1.18, talking about wrath. In fact, your, your notes are wrong. It's Colossians 3.6, not 3.16. I'm glad I caught that. Colossians 3.6 is talking about, but the wrath of God is pouring out upon the sons of disobedience. In fact, this word orge is often the word that is used anytime we're talking about the wrath of God on unrepentant people. Why is orge? Orge, if, if thumos is the volcano, orge is the, the tea kettle. You put a tea kettle on boil, you turn up heat, and what happens? Over time, it builds and it builds. And it gets hotter, and it gets hotter over time. And pretty soon, what happens to that tea kettle? And then what happens? You turn it off, and what just happened? You ever met someone who is orge in their anger? It slowly builds. You feel like you're walking on eggshells, because is it going to blow? I don't know. This is the word in Ephesians 4.26, and this is interesting. I'm going to come back to this later. Does the Bible command us to be angry? Does it? Some of you are looking like, I'm not sure. I'm not making eye contact. I'm not saying anything. Does the Bible command us to be angry? Yes or no? Ephesians 4.26, be angry, yet do not, what? Sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do you realize that when it says be angry, it's telling the, the Greek word is orge. Have a slow burn. Be a tea kettle, yet without sin. I'm going to talk more about that later. But it's interesting that Ephesians 4.26 is this word. In fact, what other verse talks about anger? It's the same word in the Greek. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and what? Slow to anger. What passage is that? Do we know? James 1, 19. Be angry, orge, but be slow to it. Interesting. I'm going to connect that a little bit later for us. So it's possible to have a righteous anger that pleases God. This is more like the wife of 10 years who's endured an unloving, unthankful husband. And you get around her, she's not throwing things, she's not throwing punches, she's not making sarcastic comments. But the more you spend time with her, you recognize there's something building in her. And you sense it's only a matter of time till she is going to come unglued. Postal, it's coming. And it's not just hormones. It's him. It's orge. This is sinful anger. And sometimes this anger clams up. This may be a pity party. This may be mumbling under the breath. This may be restlessness or a complaining spirit. This may be loss of appetite. You realize anger sometimes affects us physiologically where we lose our appetite. Some of you are like, yes, I know. That's how I lost 15 pounds. 
I wasn't blowing up, but I was clamming up, holding the anger inside, letting it build. I couldn't eat. There's a constant seething. And you recognize, just because the Greek uses these two terms, sometimes the reality is we find this in counseling, sometimes there's a mix. Anybody know what that is like? Passive-aggressive. One minute they're blowing up, the next minute they're climbing up, and then they're blowing up, and then they're climbing up. It's like, well, just try to be consistent. Which are you? Then there's a third word. This is my favorite. Parogismos. This is anger mingled with irritability, with exasperation and or embitterment. In fact, this is the word that is Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not what? Exasperate. This is this word. Provoke your children to what? Anger. Don't do it. It's the same translation in Colossians 3.21. And interestingly enough, in Ephesians 4.26, when it says, be angry yet do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your parogismos. Don't let the sun go down on this. Well, what does the word mean? Well, this can become the natural response to circumstances, to patterns. This has the idea of, of being irritated, having to discipline my kids. How many times have I told you? I'm not blowing up, I'm not clamming up, but I'm irritated. I'm displeased, I'm offended. You're disturbing my peace. Or maybe it's the incompetent customer sales rep. Anybody can identify with that? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Braden. Works at Best Buy. Not that you are that person. That's not what I'm saying. Think about that. No, how many times do I have to tell you my computer's not working? Well, sir, just turn it on. Don't you understand? It's not working. I can't turn it on. Well, sir, step one is to turn it on. Do you hear me? It's that irritability. It's the guy who just cut me off. He, you know, you cut me off every day. I'm thinking, what in the world? Is there like some guy living in Tejas Creek who's just waiting for me to come by? Oh, here he comes. Here comes Steyer. Black, here he comes. Let's cut him off. Woo! And I get angry. That's not right. I was here first. The other day, I got in my car. I tried to. The seat was pulled all the way up to the front. It's like a dwarf stole my car, drove it around, and then brought it back and parked it in my driveway. So I'm sitting in there, sitting in it, and I'm like, wasting time. I shouldn't have to do this. They know better. Put the car back the way you took it. Again, I have illustration after illustration after illustration. It's not hard to find. And sadly, this is where many of us live. Dwarfs stealing our cars and we're just irritated. See, anger is not a thing. It's, it's not just something inside of you. All parts of our nature are involved. The emotional, physiological. What did Larry the Cucumber say? Oh, you have angry eyebrows. We can learn a lot from veggie tales. You ever encounter someone and they just go, like they're, wow, are you, are, do you have angry eyebrows? Emotional, spiritual, 
It affects every aspect of us. Behaviorally, if you ever encounter someone where they get angry, they just walk away in the middle of the conversation. What are they communicating? Are they blowing up or clamming up? They're clamming up. It affects us. So it's unbiblical for us to say, well, my anger just got the best of me. As if our anger somehow rose up and took over our mind and body. I am an angry robot. I have no control. Uh, 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 uh. You are an idiot and a jerk, and I don't like to be married to you anymore. I don't know what happened. It just got the best of me. Really? Anger has an object. It has a target, which is either human or non-human. An angry husband can yell at his wife, or he can punch his hand into a mirror or door. And anger is often a means of cruelty, of manipulation, of, of intimidation. It can become a weapon used to get what we want and to punish people when we don't get what we want. How many marriages are soured because they're experiencing this every day? Well, third, anger is natural. I'm just going to summarize this to mean this. As man was created in the image of God, and God has the capacity to be angry in a righteous way, so too do we have the ability to be angry in a righteous way as Christians. We were created in the image of God, Genesis 126. Therefore, we have the capacity as beings created in the image of God to be angry. And we can and should be righteously angry about the same things that God gets righteously angry about. Things like sin or abortion or mistreating widows and orphans or taking God's name in vain. And while we should be righteously angry, we just recognize our sinful natures have the capacity to be sinfully angry. And where does sinful anger come from? Can we blame it on the brain? You realize that just like I talked about depression you know what the world calls it? Oppositional defiance disorder, ODD. Anytime you have someone who is defiant, who's angry, it's not their fault. It's the brain, it's chemicals, it's a disorder. And so how do we treat that? We give them drugs, we give them therapy. We... I have ODD, you probably have ODD. We all need help. Is that the solution? No, in fact, what does Mark 7, 20, 23 say? Things on the outside are not what defile a man. What's on the inside defiles a man. From the mouth speaks the heart. Therefore, from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, slander, gossip, anger, all these things. Skinner was wrong. It's not our environment that makes me angry. That's what Skinner taught. We're creatures of our environment. The way you were raised, the bully. Is bullying an issue now? Absolutely. When you're bullied, does it make you angry? Yes, and when you get angry, what do you do? You grab a gun and go back to your school and kill people. Is that happening today? Over and over and over again. So do those kids have no option but to go kill their fellow classmates? Was it the environment's fault? Or according to Mark 7, what, where did that come from? the heart. Now, does the environment have an impact on that? Yeah. So someone who's been victimized, the, the wife who's been cheated on, does she feel scorned and spurned? Is she angry? Absolutely. Did she ask to be cheated on? No. 
Is that going to affect her anger? Yes. But if she is in Christ, does she have to respond with that kind of anger? Skinner says yes. The Bible, according to Jesus, says what? No, that comes from where? From your heart. What about someone who has a legitimate organic cause? I talked about that last week. What if someone who has like a thyroid issue and it's overproducing or underproducing and, and they literally feel like fight or flight because the body's overproducing this hormone and they're like, okay, you want something? You burnt my taco, let's go. I'll kill you. What is that? That is an organic cause. That's affecting how they feel, legitimately. And they can go to their doctor and try to get help for that. But if they're a Christian, do they have to respond that way? No. They can learn how to respond righteously in the way that God intended. So anger can either be sinful or sinless. Now let's look at Ephesians 4.26. I gotta go fast. Or we're never gonna get to the practical section. Ephesians 4.26. And I get to tell you the end of the story too. Otherwise you think I'm still angry. Ephesians 4.26. Be angry yet do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. So again, be angry. This is a command. Present tense active. You, Christian, orgizo. It's like orgizmo. Be angry. It's a command in the Greek. Be angry. Slow burn. Settled disposition. I hate what God hates, but without sin. And do not let the sun go down on your parogismos, that irritability, because if you let the sun go down on it, what will happen to your anger? It gets perverted. It gets twisted because of our sin nature. And so this is why the guy who starts picketing for Jesus Christ, the abortion clinic, and starts raising funds to put up a banner, don't kill babies. His heart's in the right place. But every night he sits and he goes, that guy's making money killing babies. And instead of leaving that anger and saying, God, you hate that more than I could ever hate it, I'm giving this anger to you. I'm still against it and I'm going to fight for it, but I'm going to give this anger to you. Instead of doing that, what does he do? He keeps it in. And he's the guy who puts a bomb in the abortion clinic and kills them all. And has that happened? Yes. How do you go from having the right heart and being angry at what God hates to being the guy who's killing people? Because you violate God's word. You didn't deal with your anger biblically. You were settled, disposition. I'm angry at what God hates, but you didn't let the sun go down on it. Some of you are thinking, well, Chris, what about when I am tired? What do I do when I'm, when I'm tired? Well, that's the next one. Anger is learned. Anger is taught. It's modeled for us. Are there times when you are so tired, you're trying to work through an argument, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you're sitting there going, I'm tired, I'm emotional. I've had to tell Shell, hon, I think we need to push the pause button. Let's pray, go to bed, and we'll try to work this out tomorrow. Now, in the beginning of my marriage, you know what that meant? I don't ever want to talk about this again. So we're going to go through the motion like I'm trying to push the pause button, but really I'm hitting the stop button, but I'm not telling you I'm hitting the stop button. We're hitting the pause button because that's the good thing to say and the righteous thing to say. But then she was like, hey, it's been two weeks. When are we going to talk about that? Oh, next week sometime. Yeah, I'm never going to talk about that. Smokescreen. So it's appropriate for you to at times say, let's push the pause button, let's let the sun go down, and then as quickly as possible, let's try to work on this. 
I think that's very appropriate. Well, the next one, anger is learned. Anger is taught, it's modeled. Again, what does Proverbs 22, 24 to 25 say? Maybe you guys have memorized this verse. This is the one we gotta remind our children of. Wow, I have got to move. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25. Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man or you will what? Learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. You hang out with angry people, you become what? Angry. Don't do it. Anger is learned. And it's often practiced so much that it becomes the natural response. So parents, be careful of the example that you're setting. Fifth, anger is often misunderstood. I'm just going to shorten this. All this means is that we often call anger righteous when it's not. Often we ourselves misunderstand what's really going on in my heart. This is the mom who punishes her child because the child did not do first-time obedience. And she does it in anger without even realizing it. She's saying, I'm doing it for the glory of God. I'm following biblical principles. But she's really that third form, that parogismos. And she's irritated when she does it. And when she does it, she's saying, I'm doing this for your glory and I'm doing this to obey scripture. But what she's really doing is violating in, 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 in the guise of to God be the glory. So we have to just recognize that anger is often mis- misunderstood. Just understand that. There was a Christian psychologist that told a Christian who was struggling with anger, it's okay for you to yell because it's more important that you get out and unburden your heart and your soul. So get that anger out. Can you imagine being counseled that way? Yell at your spouse because you'll feel better afterwards and they'll feel better afterwards. Can you imagine going to help and the Christian psychologist tells you that? Anger is misunderstood. Next, anger is sinful when, sorry, I had to skip over that section, but that's basically what I meant to say. Look at Matthew 5.44, by the way, let me just mention this. Some of you are like, well, this person is acting like my enemy. What does Matthew 5.44 say? Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Sometimes I have to look at a woman who's coming in for counseling and I'm saying, he's acting like your enemy. And the world is telling you, ditch him, you don't love him, he doesn't love you, you deserve to be happy, and, and you have to choose not to respond in anger. You have to choose to follow God's word. You have to choose to do what Jesus is telling you to do. Even when they're acting like your enemy, you love them and you pray for them. Anger is sinful when? There's four ways we can tell when it's sinful. It's sinfully or selflessly motivated. Again, where is the focus is the focus of my anger on self or is it on God? Think about this. Does, this. does this describe you, what I'm about to say? I want my way because I can't have my way. I'm angry. I want my way because I can't have my way. I'm angry. Does that describe you? That gets to motive. What do you want? B, God's goal in the matter is distorted. This is kind of what I was just talking about. The mother who's angry at the child's disobedience This is when we justify a sinful or angry response by convincing ourselves we're doing it for God. See, anger is allowed to linger. We don't put it aside at the end of every day. And then D, it attacks a person instead of the problem. 
Look at Ephesians 4.29. You're already there. Look at Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will what? Give grace to those who hear. Let your words that come out of your mouth be wholesome, edifying. Let words come out that edify and build up. And be, how will you know how to give grace for the need of the moment if you're not listening? Why does James 1.19 say, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Because in order to be a good communicator, when you're starting to get irritated and frustrated, you have to stop. You have to stop and say, God, I want to attack her or him or my boss or that customer or the guy who just cut me off. I want to get right on his tail and let him know I am not happy with you. And that's attacking the person. That's building. I'm not building up. I'm tearing down. Lord, would you help me to attack the problem? And so this is the wife that comes to you for help and counseling, and she says, my husband doesn't help at home. He goes and works, and I'm home with the kids all day, and he comes and he expects me to clean and cook and get his slippers out, and I try to ask him for help, and he says, hey, it's your job. I work all day. How do you help her attack the problem and not the person? Is she angry? Yeah. Is she blowing up or clamming up? We'd have to ask her, probably clamming up. Unless he comes to church with a black eye next Sunday, then you know... Thumos happened. How do you help her? Attacking the person, she goes back to her friend, she goes to you and says, he does this, he does this. She's complaining, she's critical. What is that? That's anger coming out of her mouth. Is she attacking the problem or the person? She's attacking the person. How should she attack the problem? She goes back to her husband and says, honey, I love you. Can we please talk about this? Help me understand how we can find a balance, how I can serve you. I need your help. Will you please sit down and talk to me? I want to be solution-oriented. And when you're doing that, does anger rise in your heart? Now, when he says, still says no, that's when you're struggling because you're like, you're an idiot. You're a jerk. I don't even want to look at you. Now I'm more angry at you because I'm trying to do the right thing. And sometimes guys do that. You've got to be patient. He's acting like your enemy. What do you do? Love him and pray for him. That's hard. God never promised that he would repent, and God never promised that he would grow to be the guy that you thought he was going to be. So you love him the way God loved you, unconditionally, first, sacrificially, constructively. So we, we don't, sin, anger is sinful when it attacks the person instead of the problem. Well, let's just look at this practical section and then we'll close. Do I, can I have five minutes of grace? It's eight o'clock. Can I get five minutes of grace? All right, thank you. Thank you. Recognize most of our anger is sinful. Be wary. Be wary. Most of it is, is, if you are struggling, if you're feeling anger, just immediately go, this is probably sinful. Is it? God help me understand. Just recognize that. Most of it is sinful. B, identify idolatrous thinking and desires. Idols of the heart will drive us to sin. And even good desires can become ruling desires. So think about my opening illustration. Remember my opening illustration? I walk in the door. I've worked hard. I come in. They're not cooking. They're not cleaning. There's a mess. There's no food. And I walk in. What do you think is my ruling desire in that moment? My jaw hits the ground and I'm like, 
what? What's ruling me? Help me. Say it loud. Sinful anger, yes. There's something, a desire that's ruling, that's causing me. You're, you're focused on the symptom. I want to know what is causing the symptom of anger. Selfishness, you just got to the root. I want to know what's in between that. What? Yes. Say it louder, Michelle. Desire for comfort. Did you see what she just did? She just counseled me. Now, James, why was it selfishness? Because I wanted what? My way. When I tell you to do something the first time, and the Bible backs me up, do it. Is that a good desire? Is that biblical? I'm not trying to trick you yet. Is that biblical? Yes. So kids, obey me. Why did I respond with anger? Harsh words, caustic acid spewing. Go to the beginning. Selfishness, pride in the heart. I want that. And I didn't get it, therefore I'm angry. What was the ruling desire? Now, because you didn't do it right the first time, I have to go back and tell you again, I'm tired. I had an expectation, key word, I had an expectation that I was going to come home, you were going to feed me, my kids were going to massage my back and tell stories about their day and encourage me and tell me what a wonderful dad I was, and we were going to eat dinner and maybe go for a walk and watch eight-year-olds get slapped and have an ice cream cone and... I had something that I wanted, and, and what was it? It was peace. Maybe it, wasn't, maybe it wasn't peace or comfort. Maybe it was control. Maybe the ruling desire was control. I want you to do what I say when I say it. I want control. So what's the symptom? Anger on the outside, words, angry eyebrows, all of that. Where is that coming from? A ruling desire, control. I want peace. I want comfort. I want it my way. Now, what is the root cause of that, James? Selfishness, which is a nuanced form of what? Pride. That's all selfishness is. Me first. Me first. Why do I struggle with me first? Because I'm proud. Because I really am king, and you need to do it my way. Did that make sense? Did I walk you through that? Do you understand the distinction between the root, the ruling desire, and the symptoms? Does that make sense? Did I walk you through that? If not, you can ask me afterwards. I'm, I'm already running out of my five minutes. C, identify sinful ways you've expressed anger in the past. How do you do that when you're blind to it? Most of the time when we have respectable forms of anger, we don't see it. So how can you recognize patterns? Help me. What do you do? Set up video cameras all over the house. It'll be like Big Brother, but instead it'll be let's help you see your anger problem. Oh, that'd be a great show. Angry Dads. Copyright, Chris Steyer. What do you do? Someone said it. Ask. Who do you ask? Everyone you can think of. Start with your spouse, then you go to who? Careful. Do you really want to get the little ones involved? Do you realize that was what God myself I wouldn't do this that's what God used to break my heart 
Because I went to my kids, my daughters, who I wanted to love me. And I said, do you think dad's angry? They were afraid to answer. Is dad angry? Why were they afraid to answer? Because dad was angry and they were afraid I was going to respond caustically. It got so bad that they would come to Shelley. This is why I was your missionary. They would go to Shelley and say, is dad in a good mood? I want to ask him something, but if he's in a bad mood, I don't want to go anywhere near him. At the end of all of that, that was when Shelley said, we need counseling. And I said, honey, let's sit down. I'm a biblically trained counselor. I'll help us. She's like, not from you. I asked my kids and they told me. You know how long it took for me to work on this where we began to see change in my life? How many months do you think? How many months do you think it took for my kids to begin to see change in the way that I responded to the little things, the irritability where words began to come, come out kind instead of caustic? How long did it take, do you think? Who says three months? Who says six months? Thank you, six months, okay. Who says 12 months? You're all wrong. Who says a year and a half? Well, now I'm not raising my hand. It took two years. A year and a half to two years before we began to see changes to the point where they were saying, Dad, you're different. And it started because I had to humble myself and listen to my wife She's like, honey, when you talk to me, it's like you're angry with me, and I don't even think you hear yourself. I'm like, well, fine, so you want to record me? Gift of sarcasm. Blessing. Honey, you're angry. I'm not angry. Uh, could we get a replay on that? That was happening five years ago. D, confess your sins to God and to others and seek forgiveness of your sin, Matthew 5, 23 to 24. I had to work backwards from the symptoms to the ruling desire to the cause and root. And here's something that I think we need to work on, Lakeside. When we tend to repent, what do we tend to focus on, the outside or the inside? What we see. What is a smoke alarm? What does it do? When there's smoke, it goes off. Why? That is really annoying. Can someone turn that off, please? Let's just reset that. Do you realize that this smoke alarm went off? Not because I set it off at kids' camp. That, did, that actually did happen. Before that... This one went off. Do you realize that the AC unit up there, the, the pulley system was breaking and it wasn't spinning and the belt was going 24-7 and it was starting to cause friction and the smoke came up, the fire alarm went off. The fireman came, went up, turned off the AC unit. The guy came out and fixed it. He said, if you hadn't have caught that, it probably would have burned your church down. Do you realize that? That happened like a month and a half ago in this building right above us, that AC unit over there in that right there on the other side of that wall right there. What does a smoke alarm do? Fire. Where there's smoke, there's fire. What is anger? It's an emotion. It's coming out. 
in some way. And if all you do is ignore the fire alarm, what are you at risk of? Being consumed. Like me, I was, I was being consumed by anger. All in the guise of doing ministry, pastoral work. Is the smoke alarm going off in your heart and mind right now, Christian? Don't ignore it. God gave you the emotion of anger to be used for good. But when the smoke alarm is going off and you recognize, I have a problem, do something about it. And don't just focus on the outside. Okay, well, I'm gonna, I, I realize that was a caustic or a harmful or a hurtful word. So, okay, I guess I'll do it. Ephesians 4.32 says, I'll be kind and tenderhearted and I'll forgive you as you've forgiven me. And you never repent of the root. All you do is repent of the words, of the deeds. What are you missing? The cause. I think we need to teach our kids, I think we need to teach ourselves that when we are repenting, when we're dealing with sin patterns, you don't just ask for forgiveness for the outside, you ask forgiveness for what? For the inside. Because many of us do not fully grasp, why do I keep doing that? In order to change, what must happen? You repent of the outside, the outside you work your way into the inside, you ask God for forgiveness for that. And then what do you do? You begin to work on changing the inside so that eventually what will happen? That's Romans 12. Don't be conformed to the world, but by the renewing of your mind, be what? Transformed from the inside out. It's biblical and it can happen. So be specific. Will you forgive me for the impatience that led me, the selfishness that led me to be hurtful in the words that I used? Except forgiveness of God, E, and then F. I love this one. Pray for God's help, and then turn to him for help. And I gave you 10 things. I got these out of Paulson's book, Good and Angry. If you want a good book, this is, this is it. He hasn't even read. Ole, ole. Good and Angry, David Paulson. It's excellent. It's new. Pray for God's help. I, I answer these questions based on my opening illustration. God, you are. How would you fill that in? God, you're patient with me. How could I not be patient with them? Think about that. Just recognizing your patience with me. I'm being impatient with them. That's so unfair. How about I'm facing, what would you put? Oh, I'm, I'm facing a family of sinners struggling just like I am. You promise, God, to bless my obedience, so increase my faith that, that you will bless me if I choose to, to be patient and not angry, respond in anger. How about this, I've done wrong by becoming impatient because of my self-focus and pride. God, I'm admitting I've done wrong. I've been misruled by my love of what? Control, order, peace, comfort. Those are the things that are ruling my heart that lead me to do the things on the outside. Please forgive me for my pride, my impatience, my harsh words, my anger. I love you because what? You loved me first, enabling me to choose others. God, thank you for loving me first. We love because what? He loved us first. Thank you. And you begin thinking rather than your circumstances. God, what have you done for me? And, and that's when God began to change my heart. And in the beginning, I caught myself like, like two hours after the fact. I blew it again. After six months, what was happening? I was catching myself in the middle. I was just about to say something, and I went, oh, wow. That almost happened. After a year and a half, guess what was happening? I started to feel those killer anger butterflies, and I was like, why am I getting angry? Why am I getting irritated? It took a year and a half to get to this phase. Why am I getting irritated? What do I want? What am I not getting? Oh, okay, I'm attacking the person, not the problem. And I begin catching myself. 
And then after two years, now, you know, and it's not that I do it perfectly, I, but sometimes Shelly will be like, you're thinking about it, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, I just caught myself. She's like, thanks for catching yourself, because you used to be a jerk. Shelly wouldn't say that. That was a joke. And then G, develop a specific plan to replace sinful anger with godly motives, thoughts, words, actions, emotions. Hebrews 4.12, you know it. God's word pierces the heart, and it tells the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Get down to the motive. Use the word of God by the power of the spirit of God. God, help me to see what's going on in my heart. And I would just, this is what I did. In that first six months, I had to, get, to start journaling, and I would write five questions I would take a journal after the fact. I'd have some conflict. I'd get angry. God, what happened? What, what, what happened? What was, the, what was the catalyst that caused it? Uh, what was I thinking and feeling in that moment? What did I do? Why did I do it? And what was the consequence? Well, I walked in the door and saw no food and no cleaning. How did I think and feel? I got angry because they should have done it. What did I do? I started yelling at everybody. I yelled at Shelly. I was like, how come you didn't get the kids to do their thing? How come dinner's not on the table? I started caustic, acidic words. Why did you do it? Because the ruling of comfort and control was driving me because I was thinking of myself first. And what was the result? My kids stopped wanting to talk to me, and they were afraid of me. It's Galatians 6-7. Be sure whatever you sow, you will, what? Reap. It took months for me to begin to see that pattern just by asking myself those five simple questions. And God, use those questions to show me not just the outside, but the inside. How are you doing, Christian? Is the smoke alarm going off? And are you simply hitting the reset button? I'm here to tell you, you don't have to. You can choose to repent. You can choose to respond because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. You don't have to be angry unrighteously. In fact, what's happening is you can choose to be righteously angry in the way that God has commanded you to be. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, thanks for this opportunity to discuss anger. Thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given me to live this and to grow through this. Thank you for your patience and forgiveness. Lord, if there's anyone here struggling with anger, would you not let them believe the lie of Satan that they are supposed to fight it alone? Lord, you have not called us to be lone rangers. You've called the church to come and to love without condemnation, without criticism, men and women who struggle because your word offers hope. So would you help us to listen well? Would you help us to encourage each other? Would you help us to pray and be there for one another? Would you help us to help one another deal with anger biblically in a way so that the light of the gospel would go forth through our words, through our thoughts, and through our behavior. It's in the precious name of Christ we pray, amen. Thank you for bearing with me. I went way over five minutes after. If you want to talk, if you're struggling with this, if you have questions, feel free to come and talk to me about it. We have next week off, and then it's forgiveness with Mike in two weeks. Lord bless you. Have a great night.